Welcome to the Grey Eye and Disability Arts online podcast, bringing together thoughtful discussion and debate. This month, Colin Hambrook, editor of Disability Arts Online, talks with musician and grassroots activist Dennis Queen about disability and activism. This podcast contains strong language. So, D- Dennis Queen, mm-hmm. it's, it's great to meet up with you again. We're here at Sick Festival at the Lowry in mm-hmm. Manchester, and we've had a really good couple of days. And uh, we're going to talk for the podcast about disability and activism. Okay. When did you first get involved in disability activism? What was, what was your, your very first action that you took part in? I think yeah. I started as a kind of bit of a personal activist, so challenging the ableism that was good, disablism was going on around us in our lives. And through that, I wanted to make contact with other disabled people, initially um, in relation to my child's impairments, actually. Um, so I wanted to meet other people with similar impairments um, in order to get their advice, because I could see the advice I was getting from professionals and the other parents that I was being kind of steered to was a bad idea and so through that and meeting other people with similar impairments to my child I then very luckily bumped into an activist from the disabled people's movement who's involved in that impairment specific community and she told me about the social model which, which is obviously a massive uh, awakening as it is for a lot of disabled people like a like a light going on and suddenly making sense of my whole life and my child's life and a lot of other stuff that was going on and I joined Manchester Coalition of Disabled People. And through that involvement with the coalition, I started a little bit of training to learn about the social model. And I then met... Uh, so obviously then I was becoming involved in an activist um, organisation, but my first kind of... What I feel was really getting involved in a campaign probably was a, a street protest, and it was after seeing... I met people from Dan on a... I've seen Dan on the, the wall. Direct Action Network. Yeah, yeah the Disabled yeah. People's Direct Action Network, which was kind of going up till 2008, uh, in a small way at least, uh, less than it was in, in the 90s. Um, but so... And yeah, I was I, fascinated I, with this picture of Dan. I could see it was a picture of what they, they call now a kettle. I always call it a corral by accident. But it was a picture of police surrounding uh, disabled activists. And the only thing you could see of the disabled activists on one particular picture was things like, you know, people's white canes and, you know, wheels of wheelchairs kind of in between the feet of the police. And this was, a, to me, an absolutely fascinating image, this idea that <laughs> the disabled people, who are usually seen as so harmless, could be seen as so threatening that they would need to be in this situation. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. I'd had a lot of anger in me about the prejudice and discrimination we've been facing as a family. And, uh, but at the same time, I thought Dan was like this really special group that, you know, no one can join and you have to be like some whatever, I don't know, uh, like some special in-crowd. It's a thing that a lot of people worry about. And I then met Dan at an arts event. So I went to, I think, the Independence Festival in Manchester, which uh-huh. would have been in the late 90s. It'd be 98, yeah, maybe, yeah, something like that. Yeah. And there were, Dan were there, and they had a stall. And so I kind of 
sort of took myself up to the stall a bit anxious and kind of sort of looked at t-shirts and things and and yeah. everyone started chatting to me and I was just like oh my god Dan's so cool like but like how do you get involved like can anyone join in and they're like obviously as I know now like every every campaigning organization is all hands to the pump so they're like yes please please do get involved no there's no special qualification and uh, then I went on my first action in 1999 uh -huh. mm -hmm. and that was a protest in Newcastle mostly about institutionalization so against yes, nursing yes. homes and other institutions where we get locked away yes yeah. I, I, I went some of the actions in Newcastle it would have bit later than that was early 2000. Ah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, those actions yeah. in Newcastle were great because we always had the fugitives with us back then when they were still together. Yeah. And they're such yeah. a great band and their songs are so kind of challenging and fun yeah. to sing. And it was amazing kind of parading through Newcastle with them. And so I actually mm. first met most of the Danners outside in occupation. They were all inside. Nearly everyone was inside. And the few that were still outside holding up the front of house... Um, Going, I, I arrived day two. So day one, they ended up on an overnight occupation. Most of Dan was inside. Some were outside doing front of house, and they'd gone home to bed in the evening. So I then met them in the morning while we were waiting for to see what happened next and if uh, the activists were going to come out. So I kind of got to meet Dan while I was lying on the ground upside down from them, kind of with chalk drawn around me being dead. And I can't remember why. We were talking about deaths in nursing homes, so there was a number of us lying on the ground. And so yeah, I kind of met yeah. everyone lying on my back, going, hi, yeah. you know, yeah. hi, yeah. I said I'd try and get here. And that was really good fun, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, I, I mean, for me, the, the, you know, the point of going on actions like that was very much about disabled people's voices being, being heard. Yeah. And, and, um, and, changing people's minds yes although I have to say I'm in in my own in my own head I'm, I'm never that sure about how successful we were at changing people's mm. minds what, what, what do you think in about, Dan itself about in um, in 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 making the making a point in making mm. a fuss and 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 challenging the institutions and I think it's difficult. I think often we have been restricted to simply making a point. I think that's really kind of the crux of it. I think there's a lot more to it for me and at least some other activists. So I think there's more to it than whether our action kind of achieves the massive change we were after always. So whilst that is great and when we can get directly involved in negotiations and make actual change, which we have also done, um, that's really good and really important. I think there's a lot more to it than that. Yeah, so for us, yeah. it's also about that personal experience of activists uh, being there. And, and I being think, part of the community. Yeah, being part of the community. But also I think the key is really what you first said just now, which is we're fighting back. And for a lot of people, that's the first time we've really sat down and challenged a powerful institution. So there are lots of other ways we do it in activism. But for those of us who like something a bit more you know, in your face. Um, I think it's incredibly empowering. I mean, I hate using that word because it's, it's got so many funny connotations and, you know, uh, we, I don't think we can really talk about empowering other people, but ourselves, I found it, especially in the first few years of activism, it really helped build me up as a person, helped me understand that I had power too, that I can fight back. It helped me fight back in my own life as well. 
So I often think that when people say, you know, do actions work? Do they achieve things? I'm like, well, I think they all achieve something. I don't think there's any mm. bad action. I think there's always something gained from it, even if it's just by the people personally involved, but also the people who see us. So whilst, for example, when we're at, we were outside Scope, um, sticking fuck-off Scope stickers all over them with the Direct Action Network, as an example, it is challenging, you know. So whilst Scope didn't change. Scope still haven't given over their organisation to disabled people or closed all their institutions or their segregated education support or any of this stuff. At least the people around at that time get to see something different. And for the first time, um, it challenges their belief that in this particular case, I'm talking about campaigning against large charities that aren't controlled by us, that, that maybe that what these charities are saying and doing isn't the only story, that maybe there's something else going on. And whilst, you know, F off scope isn't the, isn't the politest way to say it, it certainly makes them stop and go, whoa, what is going on here? And Because I think the hardest thing about campaigning about charity is that most of the people who pay into charity are doing it for all the right reasons. They, they want things to be good for disabled people. They want our lives to be better. They don't, you know, they've heard we're suffering and they, they don't want us to suffer. Unfortunately, they're just being given what I think is the wrong way to fix it. Yeah, and actually, yeah. you know, those people I tend to appeal to and just say, just accept us in your lives, welcome us in your workplace, treat yeah. us equally when you see us, don't pay the pound scope. But at the end of the day, so even if it's only those few people in that local area who get to notice, I think every, I think every person does matter because at least half mm-hmm. of those people are going home to lives that include disabled people of all kinds. And they might have seen something today that helps them realize that we can fight back and i think the fighting back thing is absolutely crucial and i think whatever way we learn to do it whether that's through protesting or through arts or through um, other kinds of activism and get involved in other campaigns or through helping run organizations that are controlled by disabled people all of these and lots of other ways all i think they all help us learn about fighting back so that's not always been to me the crux of everything i do is about disabled people fighting back if there was one phrase that I wanted to know that that was the thing that I was doing and about, that would be it. Fight back, fight back. In, yeah. in your own life, and if and when you're stable, help other people fight back. And It's about agency, isn't it? Mm. And, and, and I think in that, in, in that way, it's also, there is also an element of empowering people, of, mm. of giving disabled people a chance to realise that they have agency yeah. and, and that they can work to change things for the better for, yeah. for in their own lives and, and in other people's lives. We're much stronger as a collective than we are as individuals. That aspect of it is always really powerful. I think almost in anything that I get involved in that's, that's organised by us, for us, um, is that feeling of being part of a community and... It's like coming away a bit more whole. I think when you've been doing it a long time, like me and you have now, because growing up, aren't we, darling, compared to when we first met, I was such a baby activist then. And But, like, I think it's less of a contrast for us. So I know in the first years, like, sometimes, you know, going home, I would cry, or the next day I would cry, because you get to feel so powerful on a protest, you finally realise that you can make a difference. And then sometimes you're going back home to quite a difficult life or immediately the next day being treated like crap 
and being treated like you have no power and feeling like you've got no power, that can be really hard. And I think the, the contrast is less now with the sort of downside, that kind of little drop that some of us get afterwards. But um, So that's nice, actually, the longer you're involved, you get less drop. But I think we still get that same feeling of power from being together. I think it's really important. It's... Mm-hmm. Mm. I hate to use, again, another word I hate to use, inspiring, but being around each other inspires us to look within ourselves at the things that we struggle with and how could we make them better. So seeing other people, because we never have role models, you know, there's never, very rarely any decent role models anywhere. So when we're together, mm-hmm. everyone is everyone else's role model and we all learn from each other. And especially as well, I think it's really important that the work we do is for people with all kinds of backgrounds, for people with all kinds of impairments, because we get so much more insight from being around people with different experiences as well. Because through that, we recognise then what is our common ground, what is the stuff. Yeah, we recognise the us. barriers mm. because we have sort of varying impairments. Time for a quick break to tell you about an upcoming Grey Eye production. When a young man jumps in front of a train Cyrus is driving, the mysterious circumstances prompt him to search for answers. In pursuing the truth of Sonny's final hours, Cyrus is led to laundrette worker Christine as the past begins to catch up with people whose lives are changed forever. Hello. My name is Sheena Govan, and I'm playing the role of Nella in a new version of the powerful thriller One Under, a Grey Eye Theatre Company and Theatre Royal Plymouth production. Touring the UK this autumn, all performances will feature creative captioning and audio description. A tactile set model and other accessible resources will also be available. An evocative play about the power of guilt and the quest for atonement. Award-winning playwright Winsome Pinnock, known for leave-taking and rockets and blue lights, and acclaimed director Amit Sharma, whose previous productions for Grey Eye include The Solid Life of Sugar Water and Cosmic Scallies, join forces to explore the fragility of human relationships in this reimagining of one under. Grey Eye are world-renowned for placing deaf and disabled artists centre stage. Visit greyeye.org. G-R-A-E-A-E dot O-R-G for information and links to book tickets. All venues are accessible and welcome guide dogs. One Under deals with issues and topics which some audience members may find challenging, including depression, bereavement, paranoia and suicide. Suitable for ages 16 plus. One Under is commissioned by Ramps on the Moon and presented in association with Curve. Being a wheelchair user, having having brain damage and mental health issues from that are very different things. Mm. But there are similarities in, 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 in the way that society disables us and, 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 and um, pushes, devalues our life and pushes yep. us into, and excludes into the background. Us and excludes us and hides us, locks us away. So I think the big thing as well, the common ground for that on, on those particular issues often is for me as well is again, just 
institutionalization of a constant threat of it may be happening as well it's very difficult to live with i think and so again it's so from where some people but we, if we don't get those opportunities to be together we don't realize that we have those common issues so you'll have to say well wheelchair users maybe with certain impairments in one side go oh no people might lock us away they don't do that to anyone else and on the same side we might have people in the mental health system who are being locked away and saying no one does this to anyone else and i think it's so important that we recognize that these two things come from exactly the same place we're just being sorted by impairment it's the same thing for the same reason it's there is no difference apart from what i think of minor details and again, and it helps us well, I think, us make the jumps to other movements too. So, like, we see this kind of pipeline to institutionalization for a lot of disabled people, a lot of people with all kinds of different impairments. That's a threat for. Uh, but also, we have that in common with people of colour who are dealing with a pipeline to often prison and other institutions, and who also will uh, be more likely to be institutionalised as disabled people. So, you're more likely. Um, if you're a person of colour, you're more likely to end up with the police called instead of an ambulance when you need help. Um, this causes... So these two... Uh, the experience of being from these two different uh, marginalised communities kind of compounds it. So I think all this learning, it helps us understand each other, but then also, I think, understand other movements and find common ground with them. Um, I'd like to see a lot more co-working going on about that, you know, for people starting to see the link between things like uh, being a refugee about seeking asylum, about being put in detention camps, about prison, about other institutions like nursing homes and uh, mental health institutions and so on. Because again, they're all part of the same process. They're just, it's like a different brand. It's like when you buy washing powder and you're overwhelmed because there's so many ways to institutionalize so many people. You're like, oh my God, these look almost the same. They've just got different names on. And that, <laughs> to me, that's, that's what it's like. And I think it's very important we recognize that because everything is always individualized to us as disabled people where we're always told our problems are because of us they're because of our impairments we can't get in and we can't get involved we can't be part of everything because of these impairments and to recognize that it's part of a massive social system that is involved with capitalism and eugenics both of these things together is why we're all in this situation i think it's got to be of, of massive benefit to us individually but also from a kind of campaigning point of view, you know, if we don't understand that, mm. if people still go around, like we had this yesterday, you know, well, they wouldn't commit, you know, we wouldn't abort fetuses just because they're LGBT. Well, yes, we damn well would. And yes, we damn well would because it's the child's of colour if we thought we could get away with it. And, you know, other communities face the same issues too. And they come from exactly the same place. So the eugenics mm. that we face as working class people, the eugenics we face as disabled people, the eugenics that people of colour face, they're all part of the same deal. And I am ranting, but I do think this is really important. <laughs> it is important. Disabled activism has, has changed a lot in the mm. last 20 years. And, uh, and I think disabled people against the cuts ha has kind of led the way in, in, in a a new brand, if you like, of disability activism. Mm -hmm. when, when did you first start getting involved in Deepak? So I think um, in the year that Deepak, so Deepak, I think um, was, if I'm correct, sorry, I think we we started in kind of 2009, 2010. So Deepak started kind of just as Dan finished and. I wasn't involved in setting up, I was very busy at that time, but I probably would have got involved if I'd been around. Um, I got involved a couple of years in um, with Deepak, 
and yes it is a, we've got a slightly different style of protesting and we've got a particular focus on particular issues which although uh, saying that we <laughs> we stretch that as far as possible anyway so our, our, our like what we include in what that defines is kind of up to us so say in especially because we have lots of local chapters so in Manchester disabled people against cuts which I'm most involved in um, as well as sometimes the, uh, the national stuff um, we will interpret our kind of remit as we like so mm -hmm. for example uh, autistic activists came to us recently and said we want to do a campaign um, it's about what happened at Mendip House um, uh, which had a massive scandal in the press because people were being harmed in the institution uh, which was a, an institution for people with autism and, and learning difficulties and uh, if it had been Dan we'd have just been like yep that's part of our free our people campaign we're, we're on that whereas uh, we're DPAC so I was kind of like yeah we really want to do that our, you know when we all got together at our meeting but like does it fit our remit and everyone was like yeah it fits our remit whatever fits our remit is we like, like okay fine well that's good so then we all went and joined in but that's like mm -hmm. so yeah we say we're against the cuts but really you know we're against things that the cuts <laughs> caused by so that doesn't mean we'll exclude things that are not strictly mm. about the cuts yeah um, and yeah. also obviously the cuts themselves we could say affect how um care is being delivered in the institutions as well it's also causing us to be institutionalized more so to me that's still part of our campaign but yeah, yeah mainly yeah. we campaign at government against the cuts themselves right right yeah uh, in in some senses to be a disabled person is to be an activist mm. because we're so much at the bottom rung of of, of the ladder, yeah, and and we well, um, have to fight for everything or die. It really is. It's like fight or die. It is fucking hard sometimes. It's a constant struggle because we can't just be people. No. It's sometimes you just want to melt away, don't you? And just you really wish you could. Like the other day, a thing happened, and you know. Uh, I'm always telling people how glad I am to be alive, how my life gets better every day. But even I have moments when I'm like, you know, people usually say to me, oh, you're so happy every time I see you. And I'm happy because I'm out. I'm happy because I've got my electric wheelchair. I can get about now. My life is better. But like then the other day, I did twice in a row, couldn't get a taxi to take me off a rank. Normally, I would just shake it off. I go for the third taxi. Might be getting more impatient by then. But just some days, you just don't feel like it, do you? I kind of was like, okay. I can't do this and I wheeled round the corner and had a cigarette and text my friend and went I don't know what to do I just want to go home you know um, yeah I think we all have moments when we're just like I just I just can't do this all the time because it's humiliating as well you've got to fight for every single thing there was people stood by watching me fail to get both these taxis and you could see they knew that I was just being lied to and you know you see them going oh no and like I don't know I just Normally I might chat to them about it and try another taxi and try and, you know, but just this one day, sometimes you just, I just, you get bloody sick of it. And it's no wonder that so many of us do have times when we might feel, um, you know, like, that we might not feel like we want to go on anymore, you know, but if people just stop treating us the way they do, I think a lot of us would feel that way a lot less, you know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So you also wanted to talk about Peterloo, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, because I, I loved that story um, that you told. Um, 
uh, was it uh, Jeremy Deller, I think, mm. who uh, was commissioned to erect this uh, this statue. This erection, let's call it erection. <laughs> <laughs> this monument, yeah. Uh, for the to, to commemorate, to remember the the Peterloo massacre, mm. uh, and was it uh, it was a hundred. Was it 100 years or 150 years? I can't remember. It was, uh, we just celebrated the bicentenary 200 years since the massacre. So, mm, mm. And the, the, it's very interesting, this, um, because while it's not, I usually stick to campaigning about issues I think are really crucial to our lives, you know, not things I think are sticking plasters. Ordinarily, I wouldn't be that interested in a monument, but I do think this monument is really important. Um, and, and hopefully it'll be apparent why when I when I tell you more about it. But um, I didn't know who Jeremy Deller was before this monument was made. Um, but I hear he makes politically kind of motivated art. Um, and so he designed what is a lovely monument as long as stairs are okay for you. So, but the concept of what the monument is, which I'd like to talk about first because I think it's ingenious. And this is why I'm involved in campaigning about it. When he was given the brief to design a monument, he was asked not to make something figurative, so not something that was a statue of people being slaughtered. Because <clears throat> we have one of those in Preston already to the Peterloo Massacre, so we don't want to just replicate previous uh, ideas. Um, and what he came up with, the concept he came up with as an artistic concept, is absolute brilliance. So his concept was, this monument could be a platform this monument could be a platform that the people of Greater Manchester and beyond can use to rally on, to speak from. Because the key thing about the Peterloo Massacre was about how, like one of the key things at least, as well as slaughtering the crowd uh, on the day when people were gathered to hear uh, political activists speak about politics and their right to involvement in democracy, um, the speakers were cut down on the platform and they, they were slaughtered. Um, cut to pieces with sabres by the army um, who had been sent in by the local judge and the council and so this idea of providing so the monument then being a platform that people can speak from is so powerful it was a powerful idea in itself in relation to the story that it's about it's extremely powerful because it's like a kind of reparation to kind of say look you know, Manchester, we, we did this thing. We acknowledge we did this thing and it was bad. And the only thing we can do now is help you participate in local democracy. I think that is a bloody brilliant idea. I just love the idea. Uh, the only problem with the idea was how that was realised was a monument of, or is a monument of steps. It's a circular, um, it's like discs of steps that get smaller towards the top. Like a, I always call it Peterloo Tower just for fun it's not really called Peterloo Tower and it actually kind of looks a bit like a plinth but the idea is instead of having a statue on top um, or, or an object like, like, with, um, like with the fourth plinth um, that, the, that what goes on top of it is people we rally from it but also in between the rallies we use it as something that the public can inhabit that was part of his phrase the idea of the monument is that the public should inhabit it it's not just to be looked at so that was great, except for the fact that a, a tower of steps with no braille map, because there's a lot of 
markings on it. There's, if things are directional, they point towards certain places. There are many names on it, engraved on the sides of the steps. There are symbols on the top of the steps. There's no braille key to it or, 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 or raised map anywhere. It's steps, so no one who can go up steps, uh, sorry, everyone who can't use steps can't use it, which uh, keeps being minimized to wheelchairs can't go up it, which is really not the case. Um, this is about much more than wheelchair users. It affects a lot of people with mobility impairments, a lot of people with visual impairments and so on. Um, so yeah, so, so then um, they were told while it was being designed that steps might not be a great idea, but unfortunately, as is often the case, people don't listen to just a few disabled people so um, by the time the wider campaign was going they had not told us they were already paying builders and that we couldn't stop it so we tried to campaign for them not to build it and not to carry it on as it got taller and taller because we went back every week we still go back every Thursday for a vigil and we will until we know what's happening the stage we're at now is the council have agreed to make it accessible they, they're saying fully accessible uh, they offered us seven possible solutions. Uh, then a month later, they told us only one of them was possible, um, which which we said, but that one is not a good idea. So we've asked them to look at more. So that's where we're at at the moment. We haven't found an actual solution. They are now saying they won't rush forward to just another, you know, uh, cock up because they've spent a million pounds on this. Um, that they will make sure they design it properly. So we don't know when it will be ready, but we are still holding out in hope for a solution. Um, but we'll see what happens there, because that's, that's still going. One of the things that really impresses me about you is, is the, fact, the fact that you're very eloquent, but the way that you join the dots in so many things, and you're involved in so many different strands of activism, and... You know, there's 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 the art activism as an artist. There's mm. there's the activism as a disabled activist, activist. But but also your trans activism. Yeah. And also I get a bit involved a little bit sometimes in the climate activism, and also um, have been known to support at the back on the Black Lives Matter campaign as well. I love Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like yeah, I like yeah. being involved in a few different. I'm kind of a bit of a jack of all trades. You know, a lot of people specialise. I'm not really very specialised, and I'm not trained in anything. So, I kind of just pick up where I think it's useful. I drop in and out. So, and I love doing the arts, and I like making that connection because for me, the art I do is absolutely 100% connected to my activism, and it's all about fighting back. And and where I can, I make tools and and pass those on because I think music or, and poetry as well are both the same really in this sense that they help give people political ideas in an easy to swallow soundbite you know it's like having a nice sweet breakfast cereal it's easier for a lot of us to learn that way than maybe from an academic text which other people also learn really well from mm-hmm. so I think having a selection of ways we can learn helps all of us um, and I always learn a lot from arts I pick up ideas from that and then I then I will go and ask questions and find out more um, as well so I think it doesn't because it's just brief doesn't make it not useful it just means that that brief idea might take you further to more detailed information and it does all connect together everything from the grassroots all the way up to you know uh, as we were talking about before the kind of that top layer in academia you know um I think it's really important that we're engaged on all levels because without a bit of everything I I hear a lot of people sort of say there's like this one way or that one way and this is the way we should do it and I think actually what we need is is lots of ways because lots of people everyone's different so different things speak to different people 
and a lot of my art uh, one thing though I think I, I don't do and probably should do more and I want to try and engage with more is I don't um, I've tended to stick within uh, what I know some other art <laughs> artists I won't I won't name <laughs> just because it'll sound bad <laughs> Um, would say is kind of uh, I stay a bit in the ghetto of uh, disability art so my, I tend to aim my arts work is tends to be aimed at disabled people not anybody else I really couldn't care less if anybody else notices it or likes it, it they're not supposed to care so it's kind of that I should probably expand a bit more which is possibly why I found it so exciting working on a, a non-disability project for a change just recently with the uh, Peter Lou thing you say that that how much you love the the Black Lives Matters campaign, oh and yeah. and I, I I've it's always been a real concern of mine that that disability arts as a movement ha- has been so deathly white. Yeah, and um, the 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 struggle to in, in, include diaspora exactly yeah ha- ha- has been um, and. It has been difficult, and um, I'd, I'd, I'd love for disability arts to be more connected with the Black Lives Matters. Me too, yeah. What, what's been your experience of, <clears throat> of those campaigns? A bit like Dan, I love Black Lives Matter because it reminds me of being, it's very, they do have kind of Dan style tactics, you know, they don't mess around, they just, they just do it, and they will break the law, and they will be strong, and they will say strong things. And I think it's really important that we support them. So I, I really only have been involved a little bit, kind of on a local level, mainly, and although there have been other places, um, with kind of, you know, things like when I heard the young women were setting up a group, I was like, hey, have you got photocopy? I mean, you know, have you got access to printer? Because I've got a great laser printer. I can print you a thousand leaflets. They're like, that'd help, yeah. So just little bits of help like that. And then just being there at the back, not exactly holding people's coats, but just showing some solidarity, you know? Um, I don't think it would be good if they were swamped with white people trying to show solidarity necessarily. So if there was a lot, then perhaps I would just leave it. But I think it is important that at least some of us kind of turn up and go, you know, this is right. You know, we need radical activism in all movements. And I think that's why I think Black Lives Matter is a very important campaign. And I think also, again, because it's focused on stuff I think is really, really important. The stuff about the guts of our lives and guts of people's lives in general because the stuff Black Lives Matter talk about is, is, is about that, that edge, about the threats to people's lives just because of being someone of colour. I think back to the arts question, I think that's really important and this is why, one of the reasons why I wanted to get involved in joining in with the Disability Arts um, Online um, the Disability Arts Online Committee Yeah. Um, because I think it's really important that multiply marginalised disabled artists have got a strong presence in the arts world, and I think we've got we've got a way to go on some fronts, especially yeah, for people of colour. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and we yeah. need to work out the answer to that. And I, I, I certainly don't know it because I don't think any any white artist is going to come along going, "Hey, I know the answer," because that's just not how it works. No, but what we've got to do is absolutely. be getting the people in who can do that. And I think it's got to be a conversation, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's got to be about collective getting together and and and, and putting stuff on the table and, and 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 kind of and you know. And, and reckon, you know, recognizing the different levels of privilege. Yeah. 
I think it's really Well, see, really I've joined important. the committee because I, I do experience multiple marginalisation because I'm trans and I'm also disabled and all of that stuff. Um, um, I'm multiply marginalised, but I'm still white. However, I do, I am a supporter and an ally to other campaigns, I try to be. Um, and um, which, by the way, isn't just about sort of turning up at a protest or buying a T-shirt now and again. It's also about the work you do on the side. So I do also a lot of, um, on the side I do a lot of quietly, I also do some peer activism, uh, peer support uh, work. And that now I only do with multiple, multiple marginalised disabled people because the demand is so high. So th there are ways that we need to support people that aren't just all out the front going, I bought the T-shirt, I turned up at the protest. It's a lot more than that, and we've got a lot of work to do. And I think we're, not even, we're only just beginning to find out what that work is from people. Dennis Queen, it's been, it's been fabulous talking to you. Um, it's, it's been a brilliant discussion, and, and the conversations that we've had as a, as a group with Sick Festival has, has been really very inspiring and... Um, the, the next challenge, I think, is to how we continue these conversations and how we how we broaden them out, how we include how we include more people with colour and, and and more people learning difficulties Definitely. into into the into the mix. Oh, I really agree, and thank you for having me. It's always awesome to talk to you. You know, I do love a good ramble, darling. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's been great. Thank you. Thank you, darling. Visit greyeye.org and disabilityarts.online for details of productions, events, interviews, opinions, reviews and learning opportunities. Time for a quick break to tell you about an upcoming Grey Eye production. Time for a quick break to tell you about an upcoming Grey Eye production.